0: Revelation 2, glad you're here this morning, glad you could be with us. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be in verses uh, 12 through 17 as we look at the third church that is listed here in the, in the book of Revelation, the church in, in Pergamum. The church in Pergamum has a lot of the similar uh, issues of the prior two churches in terms of its culture. Uh, so, uh, a lot of uh, that paganism and idolatry and emperor worship was certainly uh, going on in that day and time. So, Revelation 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two edged sword I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. Well, let's uh, work through this in the same kind of uh, format, I guess, that each of these letters takes on. Let's talk about uh, Jesus' self-description first. What does he say about himself? And then we'll have to kind of explain that image, and then we'll just kind of move our way through of good works and problems and remedies and and conclusions, as like each of these seven uh, letters have. So self-description. all right the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword have we seen that in the book of revelation before okay chapter 1 verse 16 is part of that imagery remember you have in chapter 1 verse 16 that you see this picture of the son of man and there is the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth now What did that mean when we looked at that back there in chapter 1 so that we can use that here again to get a sense of why this self-description? What was the idea of this this two-edged sword coming out of uh, Christ's mouth? What was that emblematic of? Okay, yeah, I mean, that's kind of... Over here at the end of the trailer, but I need I need back here to get to that. <laughs> yes, you have. And that's interesting. Interesting. Everybody defaults Hebrews four. <laughs> sharp two edged sword. That's the word of God. OK, well. That wouldn't really help you in explaining this, would it? <laughs> I put it that way. So what's coming out of his mouth is the word of God. Well, how does that have anything to do with what's happening here? That's what I mean is you're kind of at the end of the, you're at the conclusion rather than trying to track across what's happening here. Casey? Well, I, I was reading
1: that shows the mind, power,
0: and the Okay. 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 Alright. The so there's, there is there a, is a, 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 an exposure of his power. Uh, that, that's certainly it, but Kind of have to push against what are we using swords for? Why would we talk about him with a sword? And, you know, out of his mouth came fluffy bunnies. I mean, you, there has to, you have to think about what's that indicating. There's a symbol here that, that's driving it. What's that? He defends himself. Okay, well, he certainly defends himself, yeah. Did we, did we do chapter 1, verse 16? Go back to my own notes. <laughs> there I wrote when we talked about that. From Isaiah 11, verses 3 through 4, that this is the power to judge. <laughs> have the judgment imagery. When you have a, a sword and using a sword that we have judgment that that's in view, which would make sense to what's going to happen in this in this paragraph now that's what i'm saying is yes the word of god is the outcome but if you miss the purpose then you're just saying oh well there's the word coming out of his mouth well why what what's it doing so we're talking about it's it's not words of comfort these are words of judgment that christ has is arriving in the image that's sitting here is here is christ and it's not like the the other pictures of you know holding the stars in his right hand that was comforting right that, that was good when we had that with Ephesus. The stars in right he's, he's right here comforting his people. We're like, all right, yeah, that's, that, that's good. Or uh, verse 8, uh, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. So you had that image of even though there's going to be suffering and death, I've died and come to life, so will you. Well, now this is a really interesting one to say. Here's the visual I wanna, want you to see. This two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Okay, wow, you know, that's that's a, a, a different framework and certainly carries judgment. Julie? So, yeah, I mean, you do, it's all encompassing. For this letter, is important because of the teaching. But I like the word of the word, the sound, the truth, and then the truth penetrates the
1: lives of the judges. And then you do have, because for this letter, some of them are yeah. probably,
0: Yeah, that's what I want you to see is when you notice verse 18, what is it? We'll get to the middle here, but since we kind of struggled with the image, let's go to verse 18. What does it say he's going to do if they don't repent? I'm in to war with you with what? Okay, so here's that image coming through. And saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you in war with you with the sword of my mouth. So that's why I said, well, wait a minute. So what is he saying? If you don't repent, uh, I'm going to start preaching God's word sermons to you. No, it's not that. What's he saying? I'm going to judge you. There's going to be a severe judgment. Now, the judgment will be based on the word of God. But that's what I'm saying about you've got to catch what's happening with the sword imagery and not just land on word of God, because it's not going to make sense to what Jesus is saying here about what's going on. There is a severity to this image uh, in, in describing him with this two edged sword coming out of his mouth is that there is a picture of judgment that is imminent, that is that is being described for this church. So you're getting a, a seriousness versus the comfort of the other ones. This one's a little bit more serious about here's the image I want you to see. If you don't listen to what I'm saying, judgment's imminent. I'm going to come to you now and I'm going to do something about this.
1: I, I think Hebrews 4 does play into that, you know, it's not just the word, but the, the latter half of that, where it's talking about the separating the soul and the spirit and right. being able to finally precisely cut through because it seems in this you have some people who are getting caught up in they are still believing in the word and in the lord but it doesn't look like they're going to get safe on the other side because they're swept up in all of the sinful activity and he said no i can come and i can cut you free from this and punish the rest of them
0: that's right trust that which is what what the writer of hebrews is saying right it is judging soul and spirit right It is making those cuts and making those determinations. And here is Christ about to make these determinations for them if they're unwilling to do it themselves. Julie?
2: Oh yep, yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's an important thing, yeah. They they to you, you, Go ahead. That, that was a big deal. Yeah. Was
1: like, I'm gonna war them.
0: Yes, yeah. He's going to deal with these people. Let's, we'll, let's, let's, let's. We'll explore that in just a minute. Let's talk about what they're doing here in a minute to get a sense of why this judgment is so serious. Um, but let's talk about the positive. Each of the letters have the framework of picture of Christ. Here's what's good, here's what's bad if there are any, here's what I want you to do, here's the the reward for those who do it pattern over and over again. what's what's the the good that's being de- de- described here, Debbie Sure. Thing about the other thing. Yeah, good. ahead. one um, thing I
1: noticed, you know, with the church in Ephesus, he was just gonna push the church the church to aside? Right. So it's it appears to me that it's a lot more divisive in this church. Yes.
0: Because he's the war against these specific that's right. It, it is important to see that there is a distinguishing that's happening in this church, right? That this one is does not appear to be quite as rising and falling together like the church in Ephesus, but that there is some among them who have. Uh, these judgment statements against them. And we can talk about some of those implications, but I think that's interesting that you have a mixture and an expectation of what needs to be done with that. A type of and a different type of judgment and, and expectation because of that. That's right, Charlotte. I was going to
1: say, when uh, Antipas was killed for the gospel, that would frighten the people. Sure. To think, and they would have turned away, but Jesus said, no, you didn't turn.
0: Yeah, I hope we would really soak in verse 13 and think about there are two powerful pictures that that are given here in in the second one, in the back half of, of verse 13. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. You think? I mean, just... Visualize that for a minute. Here's somebody who is going around teaching the gospel. You know, who do we want to pick of just put picks up, look around, pick somebody in your head. And then they get executed for doing that. How are you feeling about going to church next Sunday? How safe are you feeling? How safe are you feeling about proclaiming the gospel? Uh, that's what just happened. Somebody in that church died for the cause of Christ. And so here they are going, whew, how, how jarring would that be? How frightening would that be? Uh, soul checking <laughs> that would be in that moment. How many people are going to go, you know what? It's a little too dangerous for me. I don't know that I'm going to worship God this week. Maybe I'm going to keep my views to myself. Maybe I'm not going to talk about Christ this week because we just saw what happened to my good friend Antipas, who just got executed for, for saying what he said. Um, it all sounds wonderful and good to say Oh yeah, I would die for the cause of Christ and nobody would ever stop me and I would definitely stand on my faith and I would never, you know, have anybody challenge me where I'd be afraid to say anything about my confession and belief in Jesus and, and say the truth about what's sin and what's what's right. Watch somebody die and now now think about it. Pretty pretty big deal, Debbie.
1: Yeah. Sort of a like fox shaped hull run or something some sort of thing. I mean
0: you'd be
1: burned alive. I mean maybe if you're killed instantly
0: it's not quite so bad. Yeah. If the the um the ancients did not know much of forms of what 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 do we what do we try to do today when we execute people, yeah. be compassionate yeah. <laughs> right. You know, let's, let's make sure that they go to sleep first so they don't feel anything. Well, uh, no, and usually you did it in a pretty violent way to make a statement, right? I mean, that was the point of crucifixion was to make a statement uh, about the individual as well as what the punishment was for so again yeah this is a a a pretty big big deal what's the other thing that they're getting a positive review for in verse 13 that was the back end what about the front end what else is going on okay they're remaining faithful in the face of what's going on what's what, what what's what's the other circumstance that they have to deal with besides the death of someone for the cause of christ janet Yeah, yeah. You have um, this this you know oblique statement in, the, in verse verse thirteen that says where Satan's throne is, and at the end of verse thirteen, where Satan dwells. All right. <laughs> how, how what does your city have to look like to call it that? You know, right. you think you've got it bad. You know, things are real terrible right now. Not that bad. <laughs> Not that bad. I mean, that's quite a statement. It's twice over. Not only where Satan dwells, but it sounds like he's, he, he's put his throne room right there. He, he's ruling the joint. He's got that city in his hands. He's just completely in control of the place. You want to talk about what the image of wickedness must have looked like in that city. And we're not exactly sure what it's pointing to. There is lots of paganism in this city. There is lots of cult worship, emperor worship. We know that there was a colossal statue to Zeus in in this city. Maybe it's talking about that. It's probably the whole sub. It's probably just the whole ball of wax of all of that being thrown in. This is a tough place to be a Christian. And he's saying, I know where you're living. I know that you're in the depths of darkness, but you're faithful. You hold fast to my name and you didn't deny the faith. Even when in the depths of that darkness, one of your fellow brothers in Christ was executed. You kept going and you didn't give up. Whew. Yeah, here's something like that. You almost want to go. You've got nothing to say bad about this church, right? I mean, wow. I mean, you sit back and go. Nice job. Great faith. Unbelievable. Who's not wanting to move out of Satan's throne and find another city? You know what? Christians are like, you know, I think I'll find uh, the great pastures of Montana rather than being in the depths of Babylon, which is what this sounds like in Pergamum, Julie.
1: Some people would also argue that maybe you do live in those really, 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 really dark times right now. Yeah. So, this is very hopeful for people who feel like they are living in that pagan environment, and maybe yeah. it's, it, it, it's a very scary thought, because there's hopeful out there. Yep, there maybe is. Maybe
0: So you notice an expectation of maintaining faith no matter how deep the darkness gets, no matter how bad the city is, no matter how bad the culture turns, Uh, you know, that this is not an ejection point to go. Well, you know, uh, and, and I think you have to appreciate the letter does not say, you know, you Christians, you just need to get out of there. You know, it's just falling apart and you just need to restart somewhere else and, you know, somewhere where it's just going to be a whole lot easier. I, I, you did not deny the faith. You continue to maintain the, these these important works here and, and standing for in the face of all of that. Uh, what a commending that's happened there, Vicki. I agree. I think
2: she said it beautifully and that's what I was thinking on Vicki. But even so, what we're about to go on, you said, you think there would be nothing wrong with this church. No. And I thought, well, you're describing everything we know as our day-to-day world that we live in. We may not get executed, but yes, it does. Back in those days, wouldn't it make you want to be stronger knowing that, you know, okay, obviously it's so powerful. They must kill somebody in a brutal way. So so we shouldn't do it. Let's do this. So I don't know that, you know, there's a few. That it would make stronger. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. if we take this aspect
0: that's coming next to yeah. how we are as well, yeah. we try. No, and it, it and I hope we see it can get a whole lot worse because we're not living in that. Yeah. We're nowhere close to that. We are light years from that. Now we might get there, but we're still light years from that. And to see what they're enduring uh, is is amazing and what they're expected to endure. But he goes, that's right. That's what you're supposed to do. Be my faithful witness and not give up. It's great commending. And to please think about the words of verse 13. I know. I know where you live and I know what you've done and I know how you're standing. I see all that. I see what you're going through. I'm fully aware. I think that's a great picture there as well of comfort. God knows the circumstances. Now, what does he have against them that he needs to bring up? What are some of the things that are identified uh, as as problems um, that are going on? Yeah. you also
1: problem?
0: Yes. I thought that was. It is interesting because. Uh, To call the teaching, call this a teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and sexual morality. Now, we've talked about the book of Revelation being highly symbolic. And I think this is one of those circumstances because I have a hard time thinking that they went around saying, Hey, I've got a new teaching for you. It's called the teaching of Balaam. And here's what we're going to (laughs) believe. I don't think that's what the teaching was called. He's using that symbolically to apply the idea of what they're proclaiming and saying, what was the whole situation with Balaam and Balak and why draw this as the image to describe the false teaching that's going on uh, in, in in the city? Why why would we call it that? What what's what happened with with Balaam that would be so appropriate, I guess, to what seems to be happening, Charlotte? Right? Well, Balaam
1: was supposed to curse Israel, okay. but God did not allow curse Okay. Right. Okay. off the
0: Yeah, the idea of Balaam is is really fascinating to think about because you know Balaam is not just random Joe Schmo bad guy who comes in and is trying to get Israel dealt with. He's a prophet. He's a Gentile prophet, but he's a prophet. And so here is somebody who is seeming to be a proclaimer of God. And yet his goal is to destroy Israel. That's what his whole effort is. And why does he want to destroy Israel? Why does he want to proclaim bad things? Pay. It's going to pay well for him. It it was a physical desire that was going to happen. Uh, Balak says, uh, I will uh, pay you handsomely if you will proclaim bad things against, against Israel. And Balaam tries and can't. So he resorts to essentially telling Moab, well, here's what you need to do since I can't proclaim a curse. Here's how you will get them cursed is get them involved in sexual immorality and, and worldliness So that sounds like what's happened is, think about the front end, you have supposed people of God. To call this a teaching of Balaam is probably not just some random Joe Schmo coming in and saying, hey, everybody, sexual immorality is fine. I think if some random guy came in here and said that, we'd be like, "Um, leave. What, What are you talking about? It has to be somebody that is a little bit more trusted that supposedly would be a teacher of God. And what he's teaching is indicating the tolerance of worldliness, the allowance of putting your hope in riches and going into sexual immorality. And he's saying uh, there in in verse 14, there are some there who hold to this teaching that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. Let's stop on that one for a minute. Why is eating meat sacrificed to idols a problem? Because Paul has a whole Thing about that <laughs> he's got a whole first corinthians three chapter uh, blowout about that where he talks about yeah it's fine but it's not fine it kind of is fine but sometimes it's not fine when is it not fine when, when you think it's something or somebody else does remember that was kind of if i could very generically sum that up as we know meets nothing but if this has any connotation to approving of a worship to an idol, a foreign God, a foreign deity, anything like that, or the other person thinks that, remember if you're sitting at the table and they say, and you go, whoa, whoa, Uh, anything that would draw that out, you go, no. Now, if it's you and you understand, fine. But if it has any kind of attachment to pagan idolatry, You can't participate. So there must be something going on. Now, remember what we saw earlier where we talked about this problem of what do I want? What did I call it? Where you had to, I guess the modern example would be if you wanted to go to your grocery store, you had to participate in certain pagan rites and practices to be able to have those things. So you can imagine there'd be a great temptation to have a teaching that would say, well, just go ahead and worship those things. It's fine so that we can have the meat sacrificed to idols. It's not a big deal. You know, I can hear the argument, you know, in your head, you know, better and, you know, just go ahead and bow down or do the incense or whatever it is that's required toward the emperor, toward the God that that's there and then in terms of the same thing, practice sexual murder, that was also part of those pagan practices and, and those worships uh, that were going on in the various temples. Same idea here is that clearly there is some kind of, of teaching that's going on that is being allowed to, to, to go on. And he said, you got to do something about that, Janet." When you tolerate something,
1: you are part
0: of that. Right. And I think that's what's, what's particularly fascinating is you have some there who hold to this. And so there needs to be something done about it. There needs to be a call to repentance is is what verse, verse 16 gets to. He says, you also have some there uh, who are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We've seen that earlier already. We aren't exactly sure what that is. Probably something similar to this would be my guess. Most false teaching is some kind of worldliness attachment to it of some kind. And so you have those and, and they are teaching it. That's a big deal. Now, that is one of those kind of key threshold lines is teaching things that are false can't happen. <laughs> That's a big deal in a local church. You have things that are taught that are wrong. Well, you've got to do something about that. Something has to happen that needs to be engaged, that has to be defended. That's one of the reasons why you have uh, in elder qualifications the ability to defend the truth, explain the truth, to be able to have that kind of knowledge and abilities because you've got to be able to defend what the truth is. You've got some there in Pergamum in that church who are teaching a tolerance and an allowance of Food sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality, and that needs to stop, and it needs to be repented of is what's what's being described there. So there is a visual here that we all just can't come in here and all just teach whatever we want to teach. And God goes mm, no, we all don't get to you. Just yeah, I'll say something, you say something. There's got to be a dealing with what's the truth. And if it's something that that's false, that somehow that has to be dealt with. That has to be dealt with. How did Jesus
1: say, I will fight
0: against him? What is he going to do exactly? Yeah, that's a great question. What does that exactly look like? Some kind of judgment needs to be borne upon them. I will war against them with the sword of my mouth. He doesn't say what exactly that was going to look like, except we know that his image of judgment's going to happen. He's going to do something. I don't know what. It sounds very familiar to things like the Apostle Paul would say. You know, he'd say to the Corinthian church, you need to do something about this before I get there. Because if I get there and you haven't done something about it, then you're not going to like how I'm going to have to come to you. So I don't know if this is referring more to God's going to send one of his Teachers, somebody you know, send somebody like that who's going to go deal with that circumstance. Is it talking about something even more severe that's going to happen to them? He doesn't explain. He just says, "You're going to have to deal with this, or there's going to be judgment that's going to befall you." And I mean, on a on a on a broad level, we know God's going to deal with false teachers. That's never going to be allowed to stand. Even if we allow it to stand, God's going to deal with that. God's going to do something about that. But I think it's interesting that there is a picture here that we're supposed to do something about that. That an repentance needs 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 to happen. And if not, uh, then you have Christ's picture, and He's going to do something. Debbie. He does say
1: otherwise. Yep. Uh, so there is a hope that he won't have to do this. Early. Right. This is trivial, but when the parent
2: says, "Don't make me come in here," right. Whatever, whatever you know. Yeah. Uh, Right.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to see that in verse 16, that, you know, verse 16 is what are we desiring? Repentance. So we're going to go through a methodology to try to bring about a repentance. So it's not just simply, you know, we'll light them on fire and send them out the door, you know, symbolically. Uh, It's it's an idea of let's try to solve this. Let's sit down. Let's study together. Let's go through the scriptures together. Let's get you to move away from that false teaching. So that we can all be back unified again. So there's a desire for that. But there seems to be, I think the problem is, they're allowing it. They don't seem to be dealing with that. And I think that's, that's the idea. Dathan? The,
1: the, and and I, I got the sense in terms of some of the historical data that uh, the, there was emperor worship, for example, or right. declaring Caesar yep. as lord. And, and so the, it's, 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 it's probably that some of the well, teaching if you if you, if you call Caesar Lord to appease him, there is really nothing nothing wrong with that. You know? I wonder
0: if that's the idea.
1: Yes, but when you look at the opening, for example, I notice that that, that, that um, possessive pronoun. Yeah. You you have called to my name. Yep. You have you you have not denied my faith. Yeah. And even the faithful witness, Antipas, was prepared to give his life. right? Because failure to declare Caesar's law could mean death. And it's maybe yeah. easy to think that there might be in the church those who felt like, you know, it's okay to say Caesar's law right. and not even me. Yep. And, and so, you know. Right. And I don't know exactly. Yeah, we don't know. Obviously, Antipas must appear to give his life, that's right. lead on his life, and right. for, 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 not yeah. deny um, that, that Jesus is the only Lord. Yes,
0: and I think that's, that's, that's a very, very good point as well. Whatever was going on there um, clearly has something to do with that kind of tolerance to have admission into society, and, and to whatever degree that looked like with the emperor worship or the incense or altars or paganism or whatever it is that that to be able to smooth those wheels a little bit we'll we'll just say these things are fine and and tolerable i think one of the things that's that's important to see here as well is so we've made the point that uh what is taught matters that is a a very big deal and that should be a pretty uh defining line as, as the people of god is that We're all going to come from different beliefs and being able, we want to come to the same page. Ephesians 4 talks about us all coming to the unity of the knowledge of the faith. That's a a constant process. Anytime somebody new comes in, we're starting that all over again. We're all coming to the unity of the faith. We're all learning. We're all trying to grasp and understand it. We're always going to have all kinds of different beliefs that we're constantly working together to come to the unity of the truth. That's not the particular issue, but there does have to be an agreement on the teaching. This seems to be the line that Christ draws here and says, you're allowing people to teach things that are false. That's not going to fly. That, that's what he's, what he's stepping in on and saying, you've got to do something about that. There's got to be repentance to that. You can't have false teaching so we're all coming to the end of the faith we've all got different backgrounds ideas and all those kinds of things but the teaching is a place that we have to agree upon and go that's where we're going to stand we're going to stand on that even if i'm not sure about all those things i'm still working all that out there has to be a coming together of that if we're all teaching different things what do we have we got chaos and something something's going to be false so I think it, it, it's important to, to see that idea is that the teaching has to be the place that we land upon and go. Well, here is what we are agreeing upon, and, and that's where we're going forward. Is is in that in that belief? All right. Questions about that before we look at verse verse uh, seventeen? Anything about that, Charlie? So when you defend the truth, is
2: that Jesus defending the
0: truth? In, in a sense, God, yeah. Absolutely. In a sense, absolutely. Um, and I think that's that's the essence of why something has has to be done here is that our job is to do something. I don't know what else he would be asking them to do otherwise. You've got some that have this false teaching. You have to do something about it. You can't just let it stand. You can't just let it sit there. You can't let them teach false things. And again, that's that shepherding eldership ideas. You're trying to protect the sheep from the things that are false. If something is being falsely taught, there is a need to come in and do something about that. You can't let sheep be led astray. There appears to be a tolerance here in saying, well, they're teaching these false things. That can't happen. We're going to have to do something about that, Mike.
2: This congregation, this family, this church, this body needs to be protected. And yeah. That doesn't necessarily fall on you, but on everyone. Sure. And as we are, you know, live our lives and come in contact with each other, these thoughts that may not be biblical—it's yeah. uh, it, on all of us to it make is. sure that we in and bring
0: back in if yeah, if we don't know the truth, then you're going to get swept away by what's false. There is a, a responsibility for everyone to be aware of that and to know what it says. And then a higher responsibility for shepherds to watch out for your souls. This is about the the big requirement to watch out for their souls. Well, what's going to sweep them away but things that are false? And, and to watch out for that, to make sure that they're aware of that. And also if you have a place
2: to go and feel safe and protected sure yeah. In the world of, like you said, nakedism that was going on at that time, yeah. there has to be a safe place to be able to come to. Right. Therefore it's necessary.
0: That's right. Because that's what the Apostle Paul warned in Acts twenty. There are gonna be wolves who are gonna come in and try to destroy the flock. And wolves don't come in and say, Hey, we're wolves. I just want you to know we are here to devour you and destroy you. <laughs> you've got to have people with spiritual wisdom to identify and go, you're not legitimate. You're here to destroy. You're here to harm. And we're not going to have you here. And that's hard to do. And it hurts to do. Dan and I have made those decisions before me with Dan, Dan and Emma have made those decisions on people before where they're here. And we're like, no, you're back out. You're, 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 you're not safe. You are not a legitimate seeker. You are a wolf. You need to move on. And uh, they weren't doing that.
2: I think there's a lesson for us in this that in our broader culture, there's a circling of wagons, right? We well, we all believe in Jesus, so let's all circle the wagons. And in that ecumenicism, we we, we create the problem of aligning with people who are doing exactly this. So you brought Tim LaHaye's great book. Yeah. I'll put quotes around the <laughs> Um There's a tendency in the broader
0: culture to say, well, then we uh, will align ourselves with these other people who are Sorry. a big,
2: that we have deep disagreements. With right, them, right. Who are incredibly problematic yep. for our understanding. So I think we have to be careful with that. I like, agree. If the Christians have to be discerning. Does That's right. Not reckon- everyone who calls themselves a
0: Christian is not. Right. that's right yeah you don't have jesus say here well at least we all believe in jesus so it's all okay you know we we all have that in common what is taught matters it matters we can't just say well we all just believe in jesus and so that's fine I, i think that's exactly right if it's false that's not, that's not something you can be a part of. That's not going to work because, you know, they're not going to repent of that. That's that's coming top down. What are you going to do with that? You, you can't run up against that. It's got to be what's true. And I think you're going to make a really good point. It's so easy in our day and time to just go, well, don't worry about the teachings. Who, who cares about what they teach? We'll just. Hold hands and kumbaya, and we all love Jesus, you know. And it's like, yeah, but the problem is when you're teaching things that are false, you're destroying souls, so it's not all okay. There are things that are devastating to the faith that can't be allowed, uh, and, and that's what Jesus is, is identifying here. He uses a strong word when he says, Fight. Yeah, I'm going to come fight, war with you, fight with you with the sword in my mouth. Judgment's coming upon this, Jesus is saying. You would rather us come to you and and deal with this than Jesus, right? (laughs) Better the shepherds come in and go, there's a problem here, than deal with when Christ has to come with the sword. Better to to deal with it right away. I mean, that, that is our love to you to say, there's an issue. Got to do something about it. I, I've got to keep moving on. I've only got just a couple minutes left. I need verse 17, so so we're not, not done with time. There are, are a couple of pictures. To those who conquer, to those who overcome, what are they going to get? What in the world do they mean, right, Debbie? I equivocate manna with the
2: bread of life.
0: Okay. So the hidden manna, well, okay, what is this conjuring up? The wilderness, the wilderness. all right. And so what should be the, the symbol that we're catching from that about what God is doing then? Provide. There's a provision imagery, right? Uh, and I think that would be the, the most straightforward way to read that is God is going to provide care for you, give you what you need in the circumstances of living where Satan's throne is. The hidden manna is, is a little bit curious why hidden versus, versus manna uh, it might have an Ark of the Covenant reference because you remember the manna was hidden inside the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so perhaps that's why it's a, a hidden terminology there and not necessarily saying I'm hiding life and provision from you, but that that was where its location was. But to be in the Ark of the Covenant would have been a covenantal image as I am in covenant with you to be faithful to you, to care for you and provide for you. I'm going to take care of you while you live where Satan's throne is. I am with you, even though you need to be faithful like Antipas was with, with his execution for the cause of Christ. What about you also give him a white stone and a new name written on it? Anybody want to take a shot at that one? <laughs> Debbie's Debbie's loaded. All right, that's good. Um, I did
1: read that white stones or stones So, a white stone that admits you to a feast would be uh, like a messianic, okay. uh, um, an admission to a feast with Christ. Okay. And, and I did want to say that when it says victorious, that implies to me that they've reached the end of their journey. Yes. And they, they are victorious. So, that's why I thought of the hidden manna being Jesus and the bread of life, they're
2: going to receive. Right. Life, right. everlasting life, and they'll be admitted to this
0: feast. Yeah, and I think that, that carries the idea because they are being pictured as being faithful witnesses dying for the cause of Christ and being brought safely in that God is going to care for them and bring them into that life. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, one possibility for that white stone is uh, white stones were kind of used the way your ticket master was, uh, it is in our day and time, as, as an entrance way. Your name's written on. Particular rock, and you would use that as an admission tool, and so uh, that is one thing that scholars have said that we see in ancient times. Tim. Also, white stones
1: were used in courts of judgment.
0: They were. In ancient- Yeah, you're going to be safe and and belonging to God even through through this uh, judging that they're going to experience. And so that works as well. What about a new name? I've got like one, two minutes left. I've got to fly. Yeah, when you change names, you're getting a new identity, right? You're Peter, Peter being called Peter, Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. That happens all the time where names are being given to reflect New identity, new representation that also harkens uh, back to Isaiah 66 and verse two, as well as uh, Isaiah 65, 56 and verse five, 66 to 56, five. And Isaiah it talks about there's a vindication and being given a new name, which would fit well here. You're going to be vindicated with this new identity that's been given to you. So there is that that conquering victory image of of provision, of life, of care. New identity, uh, a not guilty in judgment, all being bound together. Because think about what, how we started. What What is Jesus' self-description? Judging. Judgment. Okay, judgment. I'm coming to you in judgment. But to those who overcome, hidden manna, white stone, new name, you're safe. You're fine, you're good. If you've been faithful unto death and deal with these false teachers, you're gonna be just fine when that judgment ultimately falls. Vicky, then we gotta stop.
2: Isn't this the salvation you offer us? The it the is. I mean that's they, the big point, right? New stone, the new I mean, uh, we we change from how they sacrifice and what the, all those means to going from the Old Testament and the New Testament is what I see there too but I know it's not in, in what the, the chapter number that are doing but that's what I got out of as yeah. well the, the stone he he did give us a judgment when he said that no not we're going to do we're going yeah. the world's going to be this horrible man made that we deal with while we live in the God yeah. It won't be Absolutely. No, it won't be easy. That's
0: how they us. Had sword. Yeah, it won't be easy. All right, we will do uh, Thyatira next week, Lord willing, verses 18 through 29. We'll take a 15-minute break. Reconvene at 10.30 for our next hour. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it.